Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Bridget. And today, we're going to be talking about doubt and other things that make church people who are just hearing about apologetics uncomfortable. We're about to embark on an adventure into the ancient past. And you'll be part of it. You can't get the experience from reading about it in a history book. You have to see it in vibrant color and from every angle. You might think you have a grasp of what it must be like, but trust me, it's so much more. Nine locations, seven churches, two friends, and one mission to travel the land of modern Turkey and become immersed in the ancient world of Asia Minor. I'm Stephen Frank. I'm Braxton Hunter. And today, we're setting off on the journey of a lifetime. And we're taking you with us. This is the place. This is the time. This is the mission. This, this is the, the journey. journey. Now, how about that? Man, they, well, they made you look pretty good. Well, you know, the, the only real criticism, there are minor quibbles, the only real criticism no I have no of that uh, trailer is that I, uh, for audio listeners, that was a trailer for uh, the upcoming documentary on the Seven Churches of Revelation that I host. But yeah, if there was ever a reason to stop being a uh, uh, an iTunes person and come be a YouTube person, that's it. Yeah, that's right. That I thought it was fantastic. Well, I, the only that's criticism not, that's, is me. Is me. No, I should not no, have no. had so many cheeseburgers prior to that <laughs> shoot. You know. <laughs> No, I thought it was great. It's it's like a documentary with Stephen Franks and Jason's, Jason Statham, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Without uh, the accent, right? Yeah. If you gave if he gave you his accent Together we are Jason Statham. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody <laughs> has said that it's the two of us together. It's like because he's a bald white guy, I'm yeah. a bald white guy, but he's sixty-eight or sixty-seven. And so it's like before and after, you know. <laughs> but no, it, it's pretty cool, and I'm excited to and see this And he's in just footage. as good a shape as you. That's what's He's sad. in better shape than I am. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but we're, you know... No, I thought it looked great, because when I think of documentaries, I think of, I, I, I think of either really dull, you know, birds chirping, and then the narration comes, or I think of um, Morgan Freeman or something like that, where it's going to be so... Oh, I need, to, I need to, to talk butt, about the yeah, seven Yeah, I need to churches. button my jacket to watch this <laughs> I'm Morgan you know? Freeman, yeah. and I can tell you about the seven churches yeah. because I wrote the letters to Yeah, this to is them. really not that good, and it's not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, come on. I <laughs> but, thought it was pretty good. But, but no, I, I, I thought... you're Morgan Freeman. I thought I don't have one. Then I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. Well, all right, that's fair <laughs> enough. Uh, you sound like my dad. But you know what? You know, my the, dad's always like, your dad the way I do... Yeah. someone. You know who your dad got that from? Dwight L. Moody. Okay. Because I heard that quote 
uh, someone was upset with his decisional evangelism tactics. Yeah. And he said, well, how do you do it? And the guy said, oh, I, I don't really do evangelism. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, my dad added, your dad some, added color. some color to it. Yeah, and and which is weird because, you know, you would think that my dad would being the Calvinist would, you know, not care so much for lifting a quote like that from someone Dwight from L. Moody. Context. Yeah. Yeah. But my but dad But your was, dad was a good Calvinist. Yeah, he was all about, you know, whatever whatever gets him saved, yeah. you know, who cares. So, the documentary is going to be great. We're not here to just talk about the documentary David. Yeah, but I still want to say one thing about the trailer that that okay. I I thought when when they when you told me that that you were looking around and wondering what what is going to become of it cuz you know, cuz you're on a set, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just wondering and they're like, no, trust me, we'll make it look good. Mm-hmm. It, I think they... You, you're, you're confident the rest of it's going to look good based on I, that. Well, I'm confident the rest of it's going to be an interesting documentary. Mm-hmm. But I am, I am confident in their abilities to edit and to put together a very enticing trailer that would make me want to watch that documentary. Yeah. Now, if the whole documentary is Michael Bay... <laughs> hack and slash editing... It is very Michael I, Bay, I'm gonna, isn't I'm it? Gonna, I'm going to not like it, but... It won't be. And no, I, I, I and I, I don't expect it to. Mm-hmm. But as far as selling you on it, selling me on it, I'm sold on it. Plus, I thought whoever composed the music, and I don't know if that was like stock music or uh, they had some musicians that worked for the studio. I mean, the studio that did this is the studio that does like Wheel of Fortune in Turkey. So they're a major. They're one of the top production companies. So they have you know, huge teams. Well, whoever produced the music, I thought did a good yeah. job too. I, but I uh, also, I should say. Um, I wrote the script from that it, yeah. thing because halfway through, me and no, Stephen, I wrote that part. Remember? No, I wrote that part. <laughs> you wrote some good stuff, but I wrote that. No, that me was and, Nick Quint or or, no, or, no, no. or Austin no, Long. Not that or, part. Not that or part. Or second yank. So you know, so many people wrote that script saying <laughs> I wrote the script doesn't. No, I mean for the for the what's in the trailer. <laughs> okay. I wrote that, and the reason I wrote that was because Stephen felt like I mean I was I was most of it, and then there was Stephen. Because, but there, I was only most of it because I'm doing the narration. Yeah. And so Stephen felt like, well, I'm just being parachuted into this thing. You know, every now and then, here's the British guy, because you have to have a British guy. That's like in the rules, if you're making a historical documentary, you're required to have an, a British guy. And uh, But he actually did know what he was talking about. Oh, he's about. fantastic. Uh, and, and he probably... But he adds credibility looked, because... Yeah. Well, the director said, you have a look of genuine intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. But I... Implying that you don't. <laughs> well, so he said. So he said. Um, but but Stephen was upset because it was like there's nothing with us together. You know, we're supposed yeah. to be together in this. So we shot some scenes with us together, and I wrote a script that we could go back and forth to show that this is us doing this. So you quoted the the whole script. He quoted the whole script, and then they cut for that it. part. Yeah, and then they mm-hmm. cut it, which they they did yeah. a good job with that. I yeah, thought. I thought they did pretty good. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, let's get into the show. Uh, One other thing, you'll notice that behind me here are two copies of Chronicles of the Adonai, my fiction series. Um, That's because the the red one is the original one that you can already purchase today Mm -hmm. as an e-book or a physical copy. Please do. 
And the green one... Has all your typos. and yeah, <laughs> Actually, I'm reading through, and it's pretty good. But I don't have, didn't have too many. But the green one is part two, book two, The Island. And it will be out, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. And so please yeah, check and, that and out. Yeah, and I read the first one a couple years after you put it out. It was like on the bottom. I mean, it's just because fiction is not... Yeah. But I, 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 I liked most of it. I told you my quibbles, and you didn't care. Well, I saw um, a bunch of them after this conference because... I sold out of Core Facts. I just was yeah. at a conference this weekend. Sold out of Core Facts. That was the only book I took. But everyone wanted to know about the novel. Yeah. So for a certain kind of person, see, I'm on yeah. a I'm on a mission to get uh, church people who don't really care about apologetics to care about it. Right. So if that means writing a heady book like Evangelist Apologetics or a popular level book like Core Facts or a fiction book like yeah. this. That's my goal. And and to be and look, I'm a hard on fiction because I'm not the greatest fan of it. Great. Um, but I thought it was good and it was way better than I expected it to be. Well, good. And that's a ringing endorsement because I will in a few years after it comes out read the second one, <laughs> but my wife's and she she this is her thing uh-huh, uh-huh. and she swears by it. She says it was a, it's fantastic read. The second one, I think, is... I mean, it doesn't have footnotes, so I'm like, eh, already. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but my wife thinks that it is... And she she says it's up there with all the other type of dystopian well, novels good, that she normally good. reads. So right, she's yeah. a better gauge of this kind of thing yeah. than me. Dear Misty. Yeah. I love Misty. The, the thing about it is, that is my... You told me, you're like, if you're going to do a trilogy... The second one sure better be your Empire Strikes right. Back. Because then if the third one's not that great, they'll still buy it because they read the awesome second one. Right. Well, I try to make them all good, but I do think the second one is my Empire Strikes Back. It's yeah. it's better, in my opinion, than the first one. And, um, I, well, maybe the third one's better than that one. I don't know. But I think the second one is is, is my favorite of the three. And, I, and what irritates me is I'm afraid people won't read the first one to get to the second one. Because I really wanted to read the second one, you know? But you can't just pick no, up the, the second one. No, the first one is totally worth reading. I had a couple of quibbles, and I told you about them, mm-hmm. and you didn't care. Yeah. And, and, but maybe you didn't... I disagreed with you about a couple of them and agreed with the, the other, but I just decided to live with them. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had to live with it because the book had been out by the time I, read I could pull it. it down and redo it, but yeah. I didn't, I'm not gonna do it. Don't be a George Lucas and no, tinker with that I'm not. thing for. We're not, yeah. I'm not gonna. Pu- I'm not gonna put in, yeah. uh, you know, Job of the Hut where there wasn't a Job of the Hut. But what <laughs> no, I, they originally filmed Job of the Hut though. It was yeah, but a he was dude. a man. He yeah. was a man. But here's the thing. Um, I'm not. Gonna, I, people want us to shut up about this, but the thing about it is, I'm not going to do that because my philosophy, just for anybody that has any interest, here's how you make progress with stuff like this. Because a lot of people don't do don't write books and don't do documentaries. And by the way, I've never asked to do the documentary or any of the debates I've ever done. Um, I just do it when people ask. But the thing is, the way you get that stuff done, instead of wishing for 20 years you could do it, is do it and leave it alone. And if it's imperfect, you say, you know what, that was me at that point in my life. That's what it is. Take it or leave it. I'm moving on. So, did so, so. doubt... And other things that upset church people. Yeah. I, well, I upset talk. church people all the time with doubt because I actually own up to my own, right? And there's two kinds of doubt that I need to... Oh, I think there's more. Uh, well, I mean, there's two kinds of doubt that I have mm-hmm. that I own up to. Okay. One, there are occasions where I doubt the existence of God and the truth of Christianity. <gasps> How dare you? I'm A saying... A saved person could never doubt. Want to bet? <laughs> Because uh, if that's true, then neither of us are saved people. <laughs> right. That's one kind of doubt I have. And a yeah. couple times a year, you know, uh, you, 
if you spend enough time in, again, an ivory tower, you think, and sometimes you, you start thinking that, you know what, that's actually kind of a good argument, you know. You don't ever have Cartesian certainty. We've talked about that in the past. So a couple times a year, yeah, I have doubts that Christianity is true, and I get over it, Yeah. right? Another kind of doubt is, oh, I know Christianity is true, and I don't doubt God loves him and her and healed his infirmity and healed her financial situation and did that, but God, I doubt you give up blank about me. And that comes a little bit more often. If that sounds tough, folks, the fact is we're being realistic here like the Psalms. Yes. You know? And sometimes I, sometimes I, I, it's not that, oh, God, I know you're there, and either A, you're mad at me, or, or B, this is some sort of test that I have to get, and I don't like it, or C, you're just ignoring me, and you don't care that I'm dealing with this, and where are you at? And, yeah, you know why? Because I'm frail and human and weak on occasion. And so those kind of doubts for me uh, are the two main kind of doubts. Other kind of doubts that people have is they'll doubt that they're saved. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That is principally what I've always heard in church when we're talking about doubt. But that's not the only kind of doubt. And, of course, as you know, the second doctrine I'm working on right now, the demon that I'm working on now... That's what I'm working on. Lay church people who are experiencing intellectual doubt, worldview doubt. Yeah. Um, because for me, I, this is going to sound silly to some people. Especially, I, I had a moment where I doubted my salvation when I was very young, and my children's pastor, who this past uh, summer I buried him, uh, one of the great heroes of my life, he said to me, um, did Jesus say that he would save you if you repented? I said, yes. He said, did you repent and trust Jesus? I said, yes. He said, well, then if you don't think you're saved, then you're calling Jesus a liar. <laughs> I thought, you know, fair enough. <laughs> and so I have never really had problem doubting my salvation ever yeah. since. If Christianity is true, I'm saved. But we've, we've had people that have actually worked here in the past, don't want to mm-hmm. say any names, but uh, shared some stories that they had personally had doubts serious about. Serious struggle. Right, serious, okay. like, mm-hmm. you know. And they're... Some of that can stem from theology. Mm-hmm. Um, that some of that could stem from personal sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that just might deal with um, the, the the idea of just you know self insecurity that you could be loved in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. And these are things that real people deal with. Sure. Um, normally, when people aren't in the throes of doubt. They want to look down on those who are, or they yeah. want to say horrible things with the best intentions, you know? Uh, I don't think so totally. about doubt of salvation, but I think so about the intellectual doubt. I think people think that way about the intellectual doubt. I think that the salvation doubt is so common that most church people who are 80 years old are, are kind of prepared for that and even have little things to say to help people with that. Yeah. I think where the looking down can happen is when you start talking about you're doubting that Jesus rose from the dead or that God exists or whatever like that. Yeah. I think that's where the, the, the second-class citizen can happen. Um, I'll give you an example. So you brought up this topic, but this just two nights ago, I was in a place called San Angelo, Texas, and the question came up, uh, what about doubt? 
Um, you know, ap- apologetics is there to help people, to affirm them in their faith, to help others see the truth of Christianity. But doubt, you know, isn't that just an inherently bad thing? Yeah. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why I think it's not a bad thing. First of all, you can expect it because I think it's one of the enemy's favorite ways to attack the peace of the faithful. Yeah. But also on top of that, it's a good thing because when doubts arise, it means this is an opportunity for you to seek truth. And to go look and see what Christians have to say in response to the things that are causing you to doubt. Now, that means we need to break it down into two different kinds of doubt about. Yeah. And I think the kind you experience, you experience. Yeah, I mean, because we got to there, there's the answers that apologists can go find for people who that's have intellectual doubt. doubt. Right. But there's also the intellectual doubt of the apologist who knows all the answers. And, well, yeah. And there's emotional doubt. Yeah. You know, Lycona, Mike Lycona puts it this way. He says, now, when it comes to doubt, if if I took a... How big is a piece of subflooring? It's like, I don't know, three feet by four, five feet or something. You know, like a big piece of subfloor. We sure. don't know. We're not, <laughs> we're not those kind of men, right? <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, you, so you take, um, you take a piece of subflooring and put it between, between like a gap that's a foot off the ground. Are you scared to walk across that gap where it's a foot off the ground on a piece of subflooring. No, you could run back and forth on it. You could do jumping jacks on it. You could, you know, because it's like if I fall, it's one foot, you know, it's not a big deal. But what if you took that same piece and it's wide, you know, I mean, it's no problem. You're not going to fall, but take that same piece of subflooring and put it between, you know, two skyscrapers <laughs> and, and it's, if you fall, you're dead. Now, are you scared to walk across that thing? Absolutely. What changed? You're not going to fall. It's a wide piece. I mean, the chances are you're fine. You can dance on it, walk across. All that has changed is the stakes. That's all that's changed. Yeah. And in the same way, when emotional doubt creeps into the mind of a believer or a Christian apologist who knows all the intellectual stuff, the thing that is frightening about it is not that there's not good reason to believe. It's just that the stakes. I mean, we're talking about life and death, and there are other worldviews that talk about heaven and hell, you know, Islam and things like that. I mean, the stakes are high now, so I'm a little more concerned that I get this right, even though intellectually I have the same solid footing I had before I right. considered the stakes, Right. you know? So there's emotional doubt, and that is the kind of thing that I think you do deal with just spiritually getting closer to God sure. or whatever. But yeah. the intellectual doubt requires more. Yeah, the intellectual doubt requires answers for people who don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would suspect that a lot of people in our audience would probably be the ones who more likely deal with emotional doubt, because I'm, I'm, I freely concede, yes, I have emotions, but also that that would be mine. Glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker, I know. But but uh, it, it's one of those... I think things- they think you have emotions. They just think they're all anger. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No, um, no. That's he's a softy at heart. I am big softy, but for me, it's not. I never have. Uh, I never have those intellectual doubts, except for like once or twice a year, where I'm like, that evidence is just not holding up for me today. But if pressed on it, could you actually poke good holes in that evidence? Probably not. Yeah. But it, so I think there's probably underneath that there is an emotional thing. There's yeah. certainly with the other kind of doubt for me, the the you know we can call it the hater doubt because you see God doing so many things in other people's lives and you're wondering 
where are you at in mind? Right. You know, so I mean, I don't want to, you know, be facetious with it, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like you're hating on everyone else for getting God's blessing and you're not getting it. <laughs> uh, and so I guess it's a little bit of a hater doubt. But so, it, but that's not a lack of belief in God. It's just no, it's that, God. I know you're there, Dagummit. Why aren't you helping me right now? <laughs> right. You see, so that, that's kind of so, a problem right, of an evil argument. Right, yeah, from of evil course, it, of course, yeah. it is because mm-hmm. see, Christians don't necessarily only deal with. The problem of evil in the sense of how do we overcome that objection to the existence of God? It's how do we deal with the fact that we believe in God and there's a problem of evil in my life? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, because if there's one argument from atheists, not that God can't exist in a world full of evil, but if there's one thing that's rhetorically compelling that can actually the enemy can use in your own life is, well, when Jesus was here, if let's say that the Bible's true, the gospel, he was so helpful. Why has he decided to not be quite as helpful as he used to be? Begs the question that he's not. I, I hear that, but when it's in your life and you're like, Jesus, right. fix this mess because I can't. You know, <clears throat> God wants you to rely on him when you can't rely on anything else, but he wants you to rely on him on, for everything, period. Right. Right. But, so, so, but that's platitude. Move that platitude all the time. God, fix this mess. Right. What you, and why aren't you fixing my mess? But even if it's not that, like there's problems in my life, yeah. it could be something like, okay, I, I've just read, you know, Mike Lycona's 900-page tome or whatever right. on the resurrection. I've seen it all. I see everything. I've read N.T. Wright. I've listened for years. I know how to answer everything about mm-hmm. the resurrection, and, I, and, it, and it's plausible. Okay? It's the best explanation. However... There is this moment sometimes where you're like, yeah, but a man coming back from the dead, I mean, come on, you know? Yeah. And, well, but, but what is the content of that come on? There's no content there. No. If you press it, all you're just, that's emotional. Yeah. All, it's intellectual, it's disguised, it's an imposter. It's yeah. emotion disguised well, as it's, intellectual. It's the enemy is what yeah. it is. And so, so yeah. what you do is you say, what is the content of that come on? It's like uh, Lessing, uh, Guthold Lessing's Ugly Broad Ditch. His thing was, there's a gap. It's called uh, Ugly Broad Ditch. Be careful that you pronounce that right. Ugly mm. Broad Ditch. And that, 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 that this ditch represents time. <laughs> and on the other side of it is the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yeah. Over here is where I am. I can't ever get across that ditch of time to examine these things up close and really see them. Well, what is that but just a, a, an exasperated, frustrated saying that that was a long time ago? How can yeah. I believe stuff about something that happened a long time ago? No, you believe all kinds of stuff. You believe all kinds of stuff that happened a long time. I just got right. back from Turkey. That stuff is still there, and it was from 2,000 years ago. Sure. But if you really want a good example, the beginning of the universe right. was exponentially a longer time ago. Depends on who you ask. Well, okay. <laughs> but it was a long time ago, either way. Sure. Bef- and much longer than the events of the first century. Yes. So, but you believe that. You believe the universe came to exist. Right. Right? So, get over it. You know, it's yeah. emotional. No, I, yeah, it, it is. And I hear that. The, the, the strange thing is that people th- you know. This uh, is an intervention for Dr. Me. Pritchett. No, it's. Who's uh, losing his faith. I, no, come on. <laughs> Um, but even Mike Lacona, and we brought up his book in the uh-huh. beginning of his book. He talks about his period of doubt yep. that he, he did. I mean, when you get into the messiness of actually having to listen to a barrage of people trying to destroy your worldview, and you're a rational person, you might think, "Hey, that okay, that's tough." And in his you case, know? he will say that for better or worse, he intentionally 
tried to wear the clothes of a completely neutral person, which we know that's impossible. Right. Well, he but he tried. He talks about about, I tried to do that so that I could limit my bias as much as possible, and the effect of that was I got to a point where I thought I know God exists, but beyond that, I'm not really sure. Yeah. You know. We also have you know, you you have the emotional issue that. That um, are you distracted by the fact that my microphone is falling over? Totally. If you guys are hearing all kinds of weird noise on the audio, it's because I'm trying to fix my mic. There, I think we got it now. It's not going to hold, but that's we'll fine. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I hope it holds. You trust? I, I don't want to have to blow patron money on fixing something that we that should work. You know, I'm worried about so it. So you have this emotional thing, right? And I, 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 sh- I would think for even like Kona, it would would have been emotional. To, yeah. to experience that, that wearing their clothes. Because, uh, to be fair, uh, you know, a lot of the things that he came away with got him into some evangelical hot water. Which is the point of this episode. Yeah, uh, because some people didn't like some of his conclusions about the way in which he said ancient writers, including the biblical writers, would compose the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, which, another time, that's another thing. You can, it's easy to to affirm inerrancy in the abstract, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're a Christian, and so say you're... I mean, most people... Atheism is such a small percentage. I, you think it's more important than I do. I don't think it's important. Uh, but what you have is well, you have a lot listeners of... listeners think it's important. I know. <laughs> but you have a lot of theists in the world. Yeah. 95% of Americans still mm-hmm. are some kind of theist. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some kind of they believe in something other than just naturalism, yeah. and and so even Christians will say, yeah, God, I'm cool with. Even Jesus is awesome, but you know that Bible, which is interesting because before you continue, that Bible does have a lot of contradictions that I can't work out, or the big book on Bible difficulties and their harmonizations just doesn't. Solve this problem for me, but you just but and so you then they say that the I'm Bible. only interested in the atheism question. But this book, the Chronicles of the Adonai, uh, book two, you has see, to we do didn't with, want to plug his book. You heard him at the beginning. Let's not. Let's get off. Let's get has to the topic. To do, and then he brings his book out. Well, it has to do with cults. It's all about cults. So it's not just atheism. And so when you say that I only care about atheism, I'm the only person between us has written a book about cults. I, I didn't say and new you, agey stuff. I didn't say you. Only, I said you think it's important. Well, I do. Th- I, do I don't think, think adri- I don't think addressing atheism. Oh well, if one single person rejects Christianity because of the atheist messages that are out there, it's important. Okay. Otherwise, you have to be one of those people that says Paul failed on Mars Hill because I don't only a couple failed. of people got saved. No. I'm just saying, but they weren't atheists. Atheists are no. That's not the point I'm making. That's not the point I'm making. The point only a couple of people, only a few people got saved. I don't think that was a failure. That only as long as people got saved. And with the atheism thing, because of Christian apologists addressing atheism, some people get saved. You know, so it's not it's not unimportant. I still, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Roll the tape back. (laughs) In in comparison to what else is out there, yes, I've already written a article on this saying yeah. that I think we over... Uh, over uh, now, I don't doubt that. However, what I do we think We overdo is it in... The con- cases that atheism. we bring, the evidences and yeah. arguments that we bring in a classical or evidential approach also almost completely cover 
other but see, here's the too. thing: you have apologists, you know, overdoing it, addressing atheist objections, right? Mm-hmm. And while they do that, you have apologists pretty much putting the doctrine of inerrancy on the shelf. I'll grant you this, Dr. Bridget. Defenders need to be more clear why they put inerrancy as a subject on the shelf for these debates. For the sake skeptics. of the debate, yeah. And the, but, but let me explain why. Okay, it's not yeah, I, because... Okay, explain to them. It's, I, I no, understand. I know. I know you know. I'm, you know all this stuff. I'm not... Yeah. But, the, I mean, the whole... The reason we're doing the show is for them. <laughs> we, know, <laughs> we talk to each other all the time. No, but the reason is because it's not just to make it easier, okay? Yeah. People act like, oh, well, it's just to make it easier so you don't have to deal with tough passages that have to do with slavery and homosexuality and the atrocities of the Old Testament. No, that's not, that's not why. Because frankly, I enjoy answering those questions, and we have done on this show. Yeah. The the reason is because you have at most two and a half hours in a debate. Yeah. If we're going to open it up to does is the Bible inerrant, then that's going to take us three weeks, and we still won't get anywhere because there's so many passages to consider. So if we cover it with something like does the Christian God exist, which I think is a good topic then you can talk about two things, God's existence and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. That's you know, But these guys act like, oh, it's just because they want to make it easier on themselves. No, that's not, that's not the reason. And it's not that we don't appreciate inerrancy. And anyone who says that is, is well, uh, to mischaracterizing be, it. To be fair, most apologists actually do affirm the doctrine of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. They just won't def- go chase that rabbit in, in the thing. But there is an impression... That because they do that, that windbaggish theologians will accuse them of not, uh, you know, taking up for the Bible. Now, mm-hmm. th- two things. Part of me thinks that yeah, you do need to address it. You can't just dodge it. If you're going to defend the faith, your scripture's part of the faith. Defend that. Yeah. Um, but another part of me is if if there's any doctrine that I doubt, mm-hmm. it's the inerrancy of scripture. You know. Um, because well, and, this, I'm and, glad and, you're bringing this up, and I think that in the church, because it probably makes church people uncomfortable that you just said that, which is the point of this episode. Yeah, is things that make the church uncomfortable, right? But that we need to be able to have a civil conversation about. Because without... yeah, because, but people in the church. I mean, if you've ever talked to what, explain to me this version versus this version. How is that not a contradiction? You see this in the church for people who actually read their Bibles. Mm -hmm. That's why atheists are like, go read your Bible, read your Bible. We want you all to read your Bible because they know what's waiting for it. And then, you know, they hear their pastor say there's not a single contradiction in the Bible, yet their pastor never explains alleged contradictions. And so church members come when they take the advice and they start reading their Bible. Well, now this leads they're us... They're like, now wait a minute, this leads, this leads us you know? into This leads us into an interesting discussion about something else that is tangentially related to this that, that makes church people uncomfortable. And I saw it make church people uncomfortable two nights ago. Yeah. Because two nights ago, I was sitting on a stage with uh, world-famous Mark Middleberg. Uh, you ought to check out his books, Contagious And more famous than us, Leighton Flowers. And, and, and Leighton Flowers, yep. So, yeah, if you put us in a row, it'd be Braxton Hunter, Leighton Flowers, and Mark Middleburg. But anyway, uh, we're sitting there on the stage, and we... Now, the conference was over. This is why they don't invite me, because you would be at the... I would actually be at the bottom, but I would be the most famous when the night's over. That's why they don't invite me. Well, maybe statements like that are why they don't invite you. <laughs> so um, the, the fact is, the conference was over, and maybe we were so. having... 
So we were at this annual conference, associational meeting, and it was it was after the conference was done, and now they just kept us over for their annual meeting so that we could, and they just thought it'd be good to have a Q&A. And it was yeah. kind of strange because we're, they're giving their reports and all these kind of things, but we did, and I thought it was a really good Q&A. And in the midst of the Q&A, Mark Middleberg says something that is completely true, completely true. But he's telling this story about when he first got into apologetics mm-hmm. and how he had kind of like the, the kind of the professor that challenges your faith and everything. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, the professor was challenging scripture. You know, mm-hmm. the, the scripture is not true. It's it, why would you believe the Bible? All these kind of things. So Milberg goes to his like college ministry guy, I guess at his church. And presents this what this uh, professor is saying, and the and the college ministry Christian guy was like, "Oh, he wants to know why you can believe the Bible. Oh, that's easy. That's easy. Is that all it is? Well, sure. The Bible says that it is uh, profitable for reproof and correction. It's the and it says that it's the, yeah, the God breathed. Yeah, all these things. So there you have it. Of course, it's fine. And and Middleburg's like, yeah, but hold on a second. That's in the Bible." This guy doesn't believe the Bible. We're talking about why he can... He's like, oh, well, because it's God's Word. And after all, I just told you, it says it's God-breathed and all that. And he said, so I thought about, maybe I'll try it this way. What if the Quran... What if someone, uh, a Muslim, said about the Quran, it's the Word of God because it says in it that it's the Word of God? Uh, what, What do you say to that? Why should they believe the Bible, which says it's the Word of God, over the Quran that says it's the Word of God? And he said, what do you say to that? And the Christian ministry guy was like, well, yeah, but the thing is, the Word of God says. <laughs> He's like, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. But in the midst of all of that, Middleburg says to the crowd that's there at the Q&A, he says, so the thing about it is, the Bible isn't enough for that, for, 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 for demonstrating that, you know. Well, yeah. here's the thing. When you say the Bible, if you say anything like that, there's certain yeah. church people that are going to get really uncomfortable and presuppositionalists are going to be really uncomfortable. The, and the, biblical counselors. We've yeah, because the out. thing is, of course <laughs> the Bible is enough. It's just like we were saying last week, what are we talking about? Because to argue... Now, there are plenty of people for whom, if all you do is present them the Scripture, and you say the Bible says it's God-breathed and all that, and you present all that to them... They will believe. If they already believe, sure. Because, well, there are many that don't believe that when you present it, the gospel is the power of God and its salvation, and so they may believe. But for many people, they, they recognize the circularity of the logic that yeah. says the Bible is true because God says so. Well, where does it say so? In the Bible. Well, how do you know that you can trust what the Bible says? Well, because God says you can. Well, where does he say that? In the Bible. You know, right. the, it's circular. It's begging the question. And for some people... They need to know why they should believe the Bible instead of the Quran or instead of the uh, whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita or uh, whatever. And yeah. so because of that, we need to be able to present evidence. But that makes church people really uncomfortable when you say, when it sounds anything like you're saying that the Bible, whatever, fill in the blank. Right. Well, and that's a lot of people get, a lot of theologians get uncomfortable back to the apologists who, who kind of downplay the doctrine of inerrancy. Now, we've both given our own statements on the doctrine of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. But if there was one doctrine, that's the one for me that I would doubt the most. Um, because it's, to, to, as much as I affirm the doctrine of inerrancy, it's not a sacred cow for me, mm-hmm. right? It just isn't. It might be a sacred cow for you, 
mm-hmm. um, you better say so because you're a Southern Baptist. And oh, I affirm the doctrine of inerrancy, and I probably affirm. I think I affirm a doctrine of inerrancy that might be a little tighter or a little more uh, conservative than than yours. But I'm sure. fine with yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if I'm not going to burn you out of stake. Yeah. No, I mean, I still believe in inerrancy. Yeah. Um, the everything the Bible says is true. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm just not. Let's not do that one again. Right. Um, so, for me though, I I have been in Sunday school classes where people did take the preacher's advice. They read the Bible and then they're like, "This is tough." Yeah. You know, and not a lot of people are writing convincing books on how to resolve this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. You know. And the people who do, they get shouted down by crazy cat women on the internet. Uh, for, Let's for not do that one again either. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, for, for church folks, you know, on the one hand, they experience these doubts. And I'm a church folk, okay? I, I really am. I'm just, and I experience these doubts. And on the other, on the other hand, I, when I see other people experience doubts, I want to help them, you know, because I've been there. You know, mm-hmm. so before I tell you how I help people, how do you help people who are experiencing the emotional doubt that, yeah, I believe in God, but this, I mean, this is this is tough. This thing about the Bible's tough, or this thing about the resurrection's tough. Well, but that's not emotional yeah. necessarily. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I'm doing research on this. Yeah. Officially doing research on this for a doctorate degree right now. So. Um, I'll let you know (laughs) but what the data says. But I'll tell you where I am right now. The practical place is when someone's experiencing doubt, I want to find out what's the source of that doubt. Is it intellectual doubt? Is it emotional doubt? Or is it emotional doubt masquerading as intellectual doubt? Because those are your options as far as I can tell. And so if it's intellectual doubt, frankly, that's the easiest because you just respond to what it is with that's the challenging them with the evidence and yeah. apologetics and things like that. And, and hopefully that resolves it. Um, and sometimes it does, despite what anybody says. Um, if it's emotional doubt, we want to we help them understand that that's what it is, because they may not realize that it's just emotional. Yeah. And so you want to help them understand that, and then you do what the Bible says. You, you have faith in Christ. Yeah. Oh, you have faith? You mean you throw away evidence and you just irrationally believe? no. You can't go with the Webster's Dictionary understanding of faith. you got to go with the Bible understanding of faith. Yeah. And the Bible understanding of faith is trust. You trust what you trust. You put your trust in, that God is going to do for you what he says he's going to do based on what we have good reason to believe he's done in the past. Right. So you just take a step of trust, right, yeah. if that helps to use it that word. So that's how you respond with the emotional, but that includes loving someone, but listening see, to someone. But see, because we have that definition of faith, contra the... Mark Twain definition, believe in what mm, you know ain't so. Yeah. yeah. Because we have that, somebody could say, right, and you know what? I'm at this point in my life where I look back on my life, I don't see God's hand in my life like I see in your life or her life or whatever. Yeah. So you do see God's hand in these other people's lives? <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. if that's what you're saying, yeah. then you're not having doubt about Christianity. You're having mm-hmm. doubt about whether or not you like this God, right? And how He's treating you, and if that's yeah, that, where you that's are, that's still doubt, though. You're doubting. Okay. You're doubting God. You're doubting His goodness. Well, you're doubting. Well, his, you're not doubting that He his loves good, you, right? Okay. 
Well, if that's it's the case, for then people, join the yeah. club because there are a lot of Christians who have experienced that sort of a, a feeling. Uh, you know, some have described that as the dark night of the soul, where you feel like there's yeah. this period of time where God is not. Um, communicating with you doesn't, you know, you first started out and you had all this these feels whenever you would pray and spend right. time in the Word, and you don't sense that anymore. But that's where that's where the trust comes in. And in fact, people may not like that I would reference someone like this, but it's true of both Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. What's wrong with Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa and Billy Graham that... I mean, I know they, why Christopher Hitchens hates Mother Teresa, but what's wrong with Mother Teresa? Well, people don't like Catholicism. But Mother Teresa... Go do what she did and then complain about Catholicism. And by the way, I don't agree with Catholicism. I don't either, but go do what she did (laughs) for the world. But the point is, both she and Billy Graham have said that they experienced this dark night of the soul a long period of time. And both of them, independent of each other, analyzed it and responded and said about it that they felt that God allowed that to happen for a season, a long season, years and years, in order to help them to grow in their trust of him. Because it's easy to trust God when you feel like you're getting something all the time. Sure. But when you're not, that's where you when you when he retracts to some degree, at least in terms of your you know, uh, experiential experience of him. Yeah. That's when you got to trust that even when I don't see him, he's still there. It's I love to tell a story. I tell it every year at the banquet for graduation, but whenever my daughter was um, my oldest daughter was was much younger, I said to her, um, honey, I was putting her in bed, and I said, I'm going to go in there in the other room. And she said, well, Daddy, I'm scared because it's dark in here, and I'm going to be all alone. And I said, well, sweetheart, you're not going to be alone. God's going to be in here with you, or God is in here with you. And she kind of craned her neck to look in the closet, and she said, yeah, he's in here somewhere. (laughs) And she trusted me because her daddy told her God's in there with her. And you know something? That's how I think sometimes in difficult times you... It's like you're looking around saying, he's here somewhere. I don't see him, yeah. but he's in here somewhere. And have the faith of a, tri- of a child, which again, is not belief based on nothing, but you're trusting yeah. that this God is with you even when you don't see him. But that takes maturity, and it develops maturity mm-hmm. in the believer. And so in that sense, it can build your faith in the midst of doubt. So I've said, you know... Very rarely, but it does happen. Sometimes I, I doubt the validity of the Christian faith. Very rarely, but it's happened. I'd be lying if I said it didn't happen. More regularly than that, but not regularly, I struggle with, you know, oh, God, I know you're there, but why aren't you taking care of this situation? You know what I'm going through. You know what my family's going through, blah, 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 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've had that more regularly than yeah, I have. Sure. I've never really doubted myself. If Christianity is true, and I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, and that's fine. You know, that that one's never really been a trick for me. But then, more regularly, uh, inerrancy is something that, that would be an area of doubt that... and. You know that's doubting a doctrine. Yeah, I don't, that's not that's really exactly doubting God. What I was gonna say. But I, it does tie in because if you can start picking a hole in God's word somewhere, if that portion of it's false or just wrong, what else is wrong? Right, and that's and what happened that's, to Bart Ehrman. Right, but, and it you know, and and I understand some people are gonna say, well, they set Bart up to fall for that, giving him a false uh, or a, a thin veneer of of uh of what the bible is and all of that you know it's very thin uh, just 
just a generic, the Bible, every word of it is whatever. And, you know, that you never actually go in and show people how to harmonize certain sections or things like that. Right. I mean, and I, and I get that, but at the same time, you show me something wrong in the Bible, and I'm going to wonder why is this right and this not right. And I know it's somebody would respond back and say, "Well, you can't just make that slippery slope. You can't say, well, if one thing's wrong, it's all wrong." Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that. Um, so it, it's really, it's really tough when you start dealing with certain passages and you start comparing them to other passages and trying to sort that out um, to, to where it, the enemy can cause doubt and something like that. Um, plus, what you also know is that you see a, a whole host of people who get along fine without the doctrine of inerrancy, and, and that's more and more in our contemporary Christian culture. And so for some people, it's like, well, I mean, the Bible's not a perfect book anymore, but that's fine, we can still do this Christian thing. And so you see them living happy Christian lives, and they're not... Here, here's my thinking on inerrantists. this. Inerrantists. First of all, I don't have trouble doubting. I don't doubt inerrancy. I don't doubt... Um, uh, if we're talking about doubting particular doctrines, of course I've doubted particular doctrines and then changed to a new understanding of a particular right. doctrine, and you have too. But um, but that's a little different than doubting the truth of the Christian faith. But right. I understand what you're saying. That can be a way in right. to, to do it. But here's my thinking on this thing of, is inerrancy that important for these sorts of things? If I found out the Bible was not inerrant, that there were mistakes in the Bible, but that the general message was true or whatever, yeah. I wouldn't lose my faith. I wouldn't I'd either. still be a Christian because no, Bart Ehrman losing his faith was ridiculous over that. Right. However, this is what I like to tell people. If it, if it, it like for people who are really doubting inerrancy, yeah. who may be about to ditch the doctrine, it, you better be really sure about this one, is what I tell people, because... The thing is, there is a lot at stake. If if it is inerrant, mm-hmm. and you start saying it's not, sheesh, you have undermined something God that God really wanted. To, you know, so yeah. yeah. So it's there's a lot at stake there. So it's a pretty serious one. Yeah. A lot more serious for that reason than I think a lot of people uh, treat it. But some people would, you know. But the other side is, why are you? placing God under the obligation to give a particular kind of book when he could have given any kind of book he wanted that included some sort of minor inaccuracies and everything else. Yeah, well, he could, but we're talking about what did he do. Well, that's the debate. Right, so you have that debate, but (laughs) just understand, all I'm saying is, here's a word of caution. I think the stakes are high with this one. But, I mean, yeah. It's not like going from young earth to old earth. I mean, some people think the stakes are high there, but they're wrong. But right. <laughs> but the, but the, but with well, this, some people think there's the, the stakes are high or whatever their favorite doctrine to talk. Yeah, about. but with what's this your thing, view of prophecy? What's your view of end times? But you just articulated as a yeah. person who has experienced doubt in that why the stakes are high. Yeah. You just gave an explanation because if and it's probably I mean the reason it's probably one of the motivating factors for taking a more serious look and not flip flopping around because right. if it is true you have now allowed someone to worm in and perhaps doubt the whole thing, yeah. even if that logic is bad, yeah. because of something that it's possible. actually is Yeah, it's possible if you, think, if you think one part of it is wrong, right. well, now you have to spot which ones are wrong and which ones right. aren't. Um, and that, it doesn't mean if one right. piece is wrong, it's all wrong, but it now things are up for grabs that weren't before. Right. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the doubts that I have, mm-hmm. and I get over them. Mm-hmm. You what, mentioned, do you have any doubts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You mentioned okay. one uh, that is... My... Braxton's bulletproof, man. I'm just telling you. Well, No doubts ever. No, I'm about to lay it out for okay. you. That, but, but it's much more... Benign? No, no. It's much more serious. Oh. I mean, it's serious, but it's much more personal. Okay. And um, I really deal with this, and I would ask listeners to pray for me about this because this has been something that I've dealt with for decades now, and I don't really know what to do about it. And it's not like a bit, it's not like it's debilitating or anything, but I have tried to live my life to please God. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I know I'm imperfect and everyone's imperfect and we're trying to do what we can in the process of sanctification to become more and more like Jesus. And I'm really burying my soul to, to share this here. But the thing is, I have seldom in my life sensed that God was pleased with me. Mm-hmm. I have seldom ever, and people like you have he's said the, to me, "He's the guy that God. You're you're the guy that God is just. Yeah, you too. <laughs> you, you can come, but I mean, really, that's what. Right, that's kind of how I feel. you're that guy in the kingdom yeah. of God. And I feel like you know because, and I think part of that is I'm aware of my own shortcomings, and so that's all I see. Yeah, but you know, it's it's like. Um, See, this sounds more like self-doubt than God-doubt. Well, it's it's a point you brought up. You said some people doubt this way. Yeah. And I'm saying that's the way I doubt. It's an emotional doubt. You doubt that God is pleased with your life. Yeah, and anytime someone tries to counsel me, this is going to sound horribly arrogant, but I'm laying it all out so you all know how to pray for me about this. Yeah. Whenever I've had certain pastors and counselors try to counsel me on this or, or help, I've never gone to a professional counselor about this issue. Well, maybe, maybe I should. should. <laughs> maybe I should do that. Let's call Dr. Chatham. <laughs> I'll have to re- resort to the last week's episode to figure out whether which one I'm allowed to go to. But <laughs> the thing about it is um, I usually know more theologically than they do. Yeah. That's what could sound arrogant. So whenever they say plat- platitudinous stuff, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, but no. You know, right. so it so it kind of, so yeah, that's why I need like Craig Keener to counsel me yeah. or something. Platitude, <laughs> yeah, a platitudes. That's why I'm against them. They they don't work in any context. It's yeah. just it's just. So I really blowing. do struggle with that, yeah. and 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 you know what I bonfire just doesn't help you. You, you know what I need I, from I, people is yeah. not to post publicly to me about this in Trinity Radio's group. I don't want that. Don't Braxton. Remember, God loves oh you, and He's gosh. pleased yeah. with He's pleased with all the great things for the kingdom you're doing. Blah blah blah. Please, and, you can private message me if you think you've yeah. got some encouragement there. Because, but I don't need. It's kind of like I was talking with this. Pastor. See, he doesn't need encouragement, so I don't ever give him any. No, I don't need. I don't need. I don't need encouragement. You about don't need bomb publicly, foggery. and no. I don't need bomb foggery. If you have something, maybe you've been through this and you yeah. found victory in this area. Let me know, and let me tell you something. I think so. You, your your doubt is not God. Are you there, God? Have you saved me or not? Uh, did Jesus really? Your doubt is probably what is it about you that would make you think God doesn't like you that we all need to know about? Well, it's just that. Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> if I knew, it finally hit you what I just yeah, said. I'm not going to tell like, no, you. Wait a minute. That's, I'm not answering that question. <laughs> no, there's no deep seated immorality no, no, or something. No, 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 not but that. But it's just that I was being facetious. Well, I'm taking it seriously. Okay. I, I, I do think that there are. Uh, you know, we we all know our own imperfections. We yeah. all know our thought life. We know what we think about other people and things like that. And I just think 
and I know, and I know, I know, this is what's irritating. Anytime I've ever tried to talk you to someone You can hear about what this, they're saying I know the what they're going to say. Yeah. Just shut up. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> but but I just... Yeah, I, that does kind of sound bad. Yeah, I mean... Thank you for trying to be nice, but <laughs> shut up. Well, it's just that I know... That's it. why God doesn't like him. Yeah, <laughs> Look, there's an inner prime in everybody. Right. Well, you know, I'm the wicked now. Yeah, you you are. Everyone has noticed that you you're are... You're a Pritchett... The your Pritchett Prime, your Jonathan Pritchett Prime, yeah. your Jonathan Prime Pritchett, and I am Braxton the Wicked Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I saw that name tag, man. They nailed because it. Someone put the Wicked on my they name nailed tag it. at the conference. Good job at Texas, folks. So I'm the Wicked whenever I lose my temper. If anyone wants to call me that, but um, but anyway, the the thing that's what bugs me though. You never lose your temper. I well, I have more here lately. That's what people have been telling me on the show. I've been no, I mean like for smart. real. Oh, though. like honestly, oh, like yeah. I, I I I've tried to get a rise out of this man for four years. Yeah, and if it'll happen one day, but I mean I'm not gonna do it. Take a cheap shot, but I mean. You know, it's the thing you though, that, that you, I you know. Pretty cool. But the thing that I know that people are going to get upset or, or say, I know what they're going to say to me is, I know my myself. I yeah. know that there is almost never a completely selfless thing. There's always tainted yeah. with selfishness, and and I just think God can't be pleased with that. I never feel like like I have a very loving dad who will give me the attaboys, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and man, I'm proud of you. That was great and everything. So you would think that I would view God as feeling that way toward me, but he he knows it all. And and I, and in one sense, I realize that this is the easiest uh, counseling session ever. And you yeah. wouldn't think, maybe somebody wouldn't think that the president of a Bible college and seminary who teaches in, in that seminary and preaches and, and knows all the answers would have such a superficial problem. But, you know, it's kind of like when I play pool, I can hit all the hard shots. It's the simple ones I have trouble with. <laughs> it's when the ball is right there in front of the right. hole. And maybe that's the way it is with me and my Christian walk. But it's this issue that I have never felt completely uh, like the God's, you know, pleased. Yeah. Well, you know, when he looks at you, all he sees is Jesus, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. And you know, it's, you can never do enough to please. And we're all sinners. Yeah, I know. But still, I'm in a relationship. It doesn't shake at all. I'm in a relationship with God. Yeah. And, and, it, and that's a concern. Yeah. And he's... And, 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 and you're right. This doesn't have... This is not... And I think Chatham would say this. Somebody could say, well, that's because what you're not telling everybody is that wicked sin that you have in your life that, that you're hiding from everybody. And trust me, he is so dull that that's not true. Uh, but that's not always. But that, that goes back kind of to last week. It's not either a sin problem or a medical problem, right? It mm-hmm. it is a personal problem. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you're wicked for for having that struggle or doubt that God is pleased with I'm you. I'm wicked because the Texas Baptist people put think the you're wicked, wicked right? <laughs> put the wicked on my and name tag. That just makes me happy. What that but, was was the, the the sandwich that I ordered right. for lunch was called the wicked. And they put right. that in my name tag and didn't put my name, so that my name tag just said the wicked. <laughs> right. Because if we actually, because you you know theologically enough, if you actually thought about what God thinks of you because of what sins you do have in your life, it's you'd feel even worse, right? So I mean, because thanks. We all, no, I mean we're all sinners. <laughs> we still know that, you know. Yeah. That's why I mean that's why I've, I'm interested in Nick's Quint's new book on you know uh, sanctification and, and perfectionism. 
because you know, I always wonder about that, and not the not the the cheap knockoff perfectionism. Oh, you can live never sinning ever, blah blah. You know, yeah, yeah. but but a robust view of that because there might be there might be a, a you know as far as like a, a spiritual formation thing, something to that to help yeah. increase your holiness to yeah. where that might be because. Because you you know everyone wants to find the root cause. Everyone yeah. wants to find, uh, you know the 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 well, what's the sin in your life that's causing you to, right. to to have and that's not it. Right. I'm sorry, it's not. Well, I mean, I did drop an f bomb earlier. Is that really what's? Is that really the no? I mean, you know, I'm using it as an example. I did not. Drop I, I did not drop the f bomb okay. either. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I did not. But I'm just saying that that I mean, is that how we're going to try to pin? Pin okay. the problem on the sin. Well, listen, That's we've not, got a minute and a yeah. half, and we need to wrap this up, or else but, it's going to make the editing But pin the problem on difficult. the sin is not the way to do it. That's One thing I want to say real quick, there's all kinds of doubts. One question that came up at the conference, and I don't want us to talk about this too much, is uh, someone said, well, isn't doubting, when, if you allow a student, say, to voice their doubts in, in church, isn't that then contagious, and now everyone else is heard and has that doubt? And my response to that is, no, the, you're treating the enemy like he's a moron. The fact is the enemy is going to hit them with those same doubts, all of them, at some point in their lives. Where would we rather have them be exposed to those potential doubts in but the in church, church where we can right. have an informed discussion? All right. Hey, this has been an episode about doubts and how you can pray for Braxton and Jonathan. All right. So uh, check us out at uh, uh, braxtonhunter.com slash podcast or youtube.com slash um, Braxton Hunter. Click somewhere uh, up click there. Click somewhere up here if you want to give to the uh, Patreon. If you're listening, it's Trinity. It's patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. And we have extra stuff we're going to be floating your way. Um, Check out our sister podcast on the Trinity Commission, The Bible Brodown, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, and The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. I feel like we ended on a downer. I'm fine, guys. I'm not like in depression. I'm one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. I'm just not perfect. But I did order him a teddy bear. I'm sorry to let you down. For his office that he can hug. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible Studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers. So click here.